The Diary of a Harlequin is proudly brought to you by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers, official player welfare partner of Harlequins. If you're looking to start your investment journey, then Charles Stanley has lots of tips and ideas on how to secure your financial future. Welcome to the Diary of a Harlequin. I'm your host, Joe Yates Round, and today we are joined by Stefan Lovies. Now, Steph doesn't really need any introduction. Uh, joined Quinns in 2019 and is our club captain. Lifting the Premiership Trophy in 2021, the formidable lock, is a key part of our recent success. This season, however, has seen a six-week injury turn into seven months on the sideline. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about that and his journey in rugby. But first of all, Stefan Lavise, welcome to Diary of a Harlequin. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, looking forward to having a bit of a chat and getting people to know me a little bit better. I think this that's exactly it. This is the, the purpose of this conversation, I guess, just to find out a bit more beyond Stefan Levy's the rugby player. But if you can, if we almost go back to the start of your rugby journey without using an awful cliche, but was rugby kind of always the end goal? Was that something that as a kid you were like, I want to be a professional rugby player, so my whole life is geared up to that? No, not at all. I think I went to... Um, was in primary school, obviously loved rugby. I had cousins that's three, six, nine years older than me. Yeah. So everyone is older than me. So I always played ball with them in the park. Um, and then loved rugby uh, from a very young age. My dad played rugby. So I grew up with rugby in the house, always on TV, but never really thought that's a career I could go into. So I went to a school that none, I think before me, there was maybe one other guy that played professional uh, rugby before me at the school. So it wasn't really like you go to a typical rugby school and you see everyone goes and play for their unions and, and you're like, oh, I, I want to be like that guy. So you never really thought like that's my career path. I always mm. thought I'll go study and I wanted to do, I wanted to stay in sports. I always thought I want to do physio or chiropractor. Okay. And then um, there was a, a Easter festival around this time uh, where all the schools in South Africa have Easter festivals where you play three games in like five days, which is yeah. quite mental if That's I have to wild. play three games now. <laughs> and then uh, played well there. And then a guy after one of the games came to me, he's like, what are you doing next? I'm like, well, I'm off to a next Easter festival the week <laughs> after. He's like, no, next. And I still, at that time, my English wasn't the, the best. And this guy asked again, and I'm like, well, I really understand in my broken uh, English. And he's like, do you fancy playing rugby? coming to play at the Sharks and play rugby? I was like, wow, I never really thought it would be an option. And then my dad uh, said, well, they had to go to army when they were growing up for two years. It was, they didn't really have a choice. So give it a shot. If it works, great. If not, then you just go back studying after that. Um, so rugby was almost your national service then, basically. That was your version <laughs> of going to the army was two years at the at the Sharks. Yeah, something like that. And then obviously got there. Things worked out for me. I think a lot of luck went my way in the early, early part of my career. Um, but then just rocking up there, people from bigger schools, you're almost just happy to be there. Then you make down a 19 side, happy to be there. Then under 21, then kind of got a chance there was loads of injuries when I was 21 yeah. I was going to leave the Sharks go play in Italy because they didn't offer me a contract then loads of injuries with the senior side 
when I was 21, made my Curry Cup debut, which at the time was a, well, definitely for me, a massive thing. Yeah. But at the time, Curry Cup was big. Um, we went on to win the, the Curry Cup, was on the bench in the final, then got to stay at the Sharks. So then in your first year, you go, wow, like, yeah, you kind of you've, you've a, made it type thing. Done a Cup final, won the Cup. You're like, this is 21 years old. Yeah, Love exactly. It. Then the following year, Jake White came. Um, he was our coach in 2014 at the Sharks. Um, again, you watched him. I watched him 20, 2007 World Cup winning coach. So I was yeah. quite yeah excited to be coached by him. And then there was a team full of Springboks. I think that team had 18 Springboks in the team, uh, the senior side. So now you're playing or you're training with guys you've always looked up to, you like your heroes, basically. You shared a changing room with them, yeah. which, yeah, I was every day I was living my dream, basically. Then got picked for the Super Rugby side that season. Uh, played almost every game, 18 minutes, went all right. Got a chance to then got called into a Springbok camp again. I was roommate with um, Skullberger, which all my mates was buzzing around. Sending. <laughs> was that suddenly I, everyone finds your number again from yeah, back home? Yeah, exactly. And then, which every day I walked in, I spent time with these people. I think it's mental because it's like, you're, you're, I'm a rugby fan. I was a supporter. I won't yeah. be one of those guys that act like I didn't really like rugby and <laughs> I kind of made it. I was a massive supporter. So you weren't playing it cool, essentially. You weren't like, oh, hey. No, so I didn't like, know you. So you're like sign this. skittish. You're <laughs> like, yeah, exactly that. You're like in all these people. And then, um, so then in 2014, made my debut for the Springboks. And then it's hard to then, looking back at my career, like because mm. I achieved a lot of things so early on, it yeah. almost happened too early. So the motive, then I got bad injuries following that. We'll get into that later. But I sometimes see it in, in uh, players, yeah? Like after us winning the Prem. Yeah. For young people, you, you achieve that. And then you always thought like, it's only gonna happen at the end of your career. It happens earlier. I think it takes special people and special people around you to mm. to let you know this is not the end. This is still the beginning, right? So to keep that motivation, it took me a while to kick that back into gear, to stay motivated, to keep working hard. And because things just almost came too easy in the early part, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I think that's it's probably something that there's a lot of people that I think will identify that with. If you get that first, I don't know, taste of success at any point in life sport career whatever it may be and you go i've done it oh wow this is brilliant and it's about as you say the people around you did you have people that you look back on now that maybe you resented when they were telling you to kind of keep your head on your shoulders yeah definitely i think saying like there was 18 springboks on that mm. side i think they they well it happened at the end but they were constantly saying don't become a one cap international which i am today but um <laughs> they were very good at keeping high standards for everyone, keep working yeah. hard. And, and the rest, the likes of Bismarck was, was a big advocate for like, yeah, it's, it's only the start. Keep your feet on the ground. Um, I had really good coaches. Like mm -hmm. I said earlier, Jake White was there. Brendan Fenter was there early on. That's, it's very, really involved in Saris. Uh, Sean Everett was the coach from when I was 19, helped me along the way. So, I, and obviously my family, but your family is almost like they're proud of you and they're like, yeah. well done, well done. So you almost need those other voices of come back to earth. Type. I won't say I ever, ever got to my head and I was flashy and all that, but I think 
it does challenge your motivation. And mm -hmm. I think the great players, the great people that achieve greatness in anything have that internal, it's never enough. Yeah. Which I probably went through a stage where I lost a bit of motivation looking back. I won't say it was a, I, I regret it. It was just, it was a learning. Yeah. Future, maybe that comes in the future in business or, and then I'll recognize that and you can. And for me in the position I am, when I see that in the youngsters, um, at the club at the minute, I can I can be that voice for them and hopefully get them to not get stuck in that. But in I that think, place. as you say, having experienced it, you can be that voice, but also you can be that voice in a positive sense rather than yeah. someone being like catching across, be like, no, don't celebrate this, don't enjoy this. And it's like, no, no, you can enjoy, celebrate, yeah. you can have that high, but it's not the end of the journey unless you want it to be the end of the journey. And then, bye. No, 100%. <laughs> I think you need to celebrate it. Celebrate is such a big part of it i think if you listen to some other people that achieved greatness um i've listened to some of johnny wilkinson's stuff and i think he sometimes he said i might be mistaken but yeah. he, he said like he regret a little bit not fully being in the moment enjoying that because he was always on to the next thing mm. um so i think it's really important celebrating the victories but then quickly realize we have to get back to and work hard to for that next goal. And in sport, oft, there's always a net goal, the next goal. There's always a next season. Yeah. So, um, yeah, staying motivated is a massive part of, of our sport. So we're back at the at the Sharks. You kind of had that that whirlwind first year and getting into, you know, Springboks camp and kind of living that living that dream. But I guess going back to that that Easter camp, that was never the dream playing at that East Ham, no. right? You weren't you weren't doing that to go. God, I hope someone's watching. I get I get the contract. So were you kind of thinking, okay, well, I want to do sports science, medicine, the chiropractor, that sort of thing. So that was kind of the way your life was was planning out at that stage. Hundred percent was all working hard to to obviously get good marks to get into university to go study physio or or chiro or any trying to get into back into sport eventually. Um, yeah, I was never really crossed my mind going that even that was a, a possibility. My reality was at that stage, or at least the one I've created was very different to the one I'm living now. So for me, every day, sometimes even when I'm yeah, I've thought about it walking up here. I'm like, this is I'm living my dream as my child would dream, basically being um yeah amongst these some of those players I looked up to. That was my years, and I'll call them my friends, which is. Yeah. in itself is is crazy and do you think that having that almost that separation right that you weren't playing in those tournaments you weren't going to school every day trying to become a springbok do you think that that's helped you kind of as your career has gone on to be able to let you kind of go oh, i'm living my dream this is amazing to ex to experience that do you think i guess what i'm asking is if that pressure had been there at that stage do you think that's something you would have welcomed of playing in this tournament thing, right, this is my chance to get selected? Or do you think you'd be able to handle that or whether that would have held you back? I would say yes and no in terms of it helped me in terms of I knew there was stuff outside of rugby. There's a bigger, mm. there's, rugby is not the be-all, end-all. So I think it helped me to become a more rounded person to understand rugby is not everything. Yeah. Um, but the opposite is true in terms of some people that can handle that pressure because rugby is everything, they put everything into it. They're the ones I feel that reach 
greatness that's right. the one percenters. Mm. You obviously get the ones that's similar to me that still get to the one percenters, but I think the one that's the ones that's more focused and they put everything into it is probably the ones that get there. Um, so me not having that pressure, I think helped me at that early stages. Like yeah. I've made unbelievable friends, some that left the game early doors. Um, the memories I've had from and which when I finished from rugby would be unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so being a fan while playing was interesting, but I think at stages it helped me and at stages it probably held me, held me back a little bit if I have to be brutally honest. No, oh, interesting. So, okay, so you then, you're in the charts, that move to Italy doesn't happen, you go on this curry cup run, you're, you're playing regular first team rugby. At that point, did you think, oh, I've, you said you felt like, oh, maybe I've achieved it and you kind of, lost that motivation what did that look like for you no i won't say it's like you felt you achieved it's like for me in my brain without i don't have a victim mentality or any it was a case of i never thought i was going to play rugby then you get a contract you're like yes (laughs) then like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna leave i'm gonna go to italy maybe play rugby before i go to uh, university then you get to play curry cup and you yes yeah then it's super rugby, you train and play, and then you spring off. So you constantly almost reach a goal that was, I reached something that wasn't even my goal, that was higher than some of my actual goals. Right, okay. So when I reached it, I was like, wow, like you can actually, you can actually do this without it. It wasn't like, I almost ticked off those goals without it being a real goal because I didn't yeah. kind of, I wouldn't say I didn't believe in myself. I believed in myself to up to a certain point. But then it took a while from that point to like, okay, you need to, if you want to make this a reality and stay here, it's easy. Like we spoke about the boys that, that almost get me grounded. Yeah, It's easy. They always said it's easy to get there. It's very hard to stay there. It's easy to get to the top. It's hard to stay at the top. And I think bringing that back to Quinn, it was easy winning the trophy, but keep winning that. That's the hard part. That's yeah. the, that's the tricky part. And um, yeah, so for me, it took a while, just that bit of realizing you've achieved, but you need to to stay there is harder than getting there. Yeah, you almost, once you've got there, you have to work even harder to maintain 100%. doing nothing or carrying on means you're only going to drop off and it's going to be yeah. fast, right? So so what 100%. happened then next then after after that high, after you kind of, you say you had that, those, those realizations of that you needed to kind of get back on the, not, yeah, yeah. Horse, get back on the horse and kind yeah. of really work for it. Like, how did Quinn's come into the picture for you? Because that was what twenty nineteen. You you came over to, to yeah. Quinn's. So there was a lot of things happened between twenty fourteen and then yeah. twenty twenty nineteen. Ended up going to Japan before coming to Quinn's, which was an unbelievable experience. Mm. Um, and then I always wanted to play in Europe, come overseas. Um, enjoyed i thought england would be easy there won't be a language barrier <laughs> which i quickly found out i struggled to understand the english being spoken here <laughs> but um yeah so quince needed a, a second row when guzzy was here one of my old coaches at the sharks played with guzzy at the time so he kind of put my name forward uh, ryan strudwick he played for london irish as well um and basically i think i got lucky <laughs> they um yeah, so I got a contract at Harlequins. To be honest, I wasn't too picky where I go in terms of England. Um, so when the opportunity 
came up for me to go to Quinns, which is a massive name, a club that there's Harlequins rugby clubs in, in South Africa. Yeah. actually played against Quinns when I was eight years old. But then when I was at the Sharks, my club that I was affiliated with was Quinns as well. Okay. So it was actually yeah. quite a cool story. But then when the opportunity came up to play for a London club, for me, one of the biggest clubs in world rugby, um, no one's going to say no to that. And before we get on then to, to life at Quinns, that time in Japan must have been, you said you wanted to come to England because of the lack of language barrier. Why on earth did you go to Japan? That's that, I don't see many correlations in Afrikaans and, uh, and Japanese. <laughs> well, I enjoyed traveling. I love traveling, experiencing different cultures and seeing the world. And that was, rugby gives you the opportunity to, to move around, experience different cultures. Um, and Japan... There was, it was almost at that time, there was people, lots of people, not as many as now, but people started mm -hmm. going to Japan and you started hearing good stories. The money is obviously good as well. Um, and the opportunity came up for me to go. Yeah. And it was at a stage where you could play Super Rugby instead of Curry Cup, you'd go. So you'd still be six months in South Africa playing Super Rugby yeah. and then six months in Japan. So we took the opportunity and unbelievable from a cultural experience. And say, so did you, did you love it? Out there? Yeah. I, well, I was probably, I was in a little town, six hours outside Tokyo, the town that got hit by the tsunami in 2011. Oh, wow. So when I was there in 2017, 18, the town was still rebuilding from, from the tsunami back then, which was wow. quite sad and humbling to, to see. Um, but yeah, the food in Japan is amazing. The people, it's, it's a different it's almost like a different planet for me coming from south africa going to japan yeah. the amount of people you like yeah it's hard to get your head around it but it was yeah it was crazy and an amazing experience i imagine to have like again ticked off the list of goals that you maybe didn't realize was a was a goal living living out there did you find aside from the you know the food but do you find that there was a big adjustment in that kind of way of living from going to South Africa to Japan or did the rugby kind of provide a constant in that? No, the rugby definitely helped. I think we're lucky. Uh, I think sometimes the hardest thing about moving is with your family and your partner because mm. when you're with a rugby club, you go in there, you make connections made quite easily. You have conversations with different people. There's immediately something that we have in common and it's a rugby piece where your partner at home, they don't have that constant, they don't have that in always. So that's the hard part, I think, about rugby and moving around. But um, the, the language was obviously a tough, I couldn't speak Japanese. And um, in that small town of very few, if any people outside of the rugby could really speak English. So it was constantly on Google Translate, <laughs> trying to either take pictures and translate to read or to speak to people. Uh, which was interesting. But I learned a lot about myself in mm. that six, well, six months, that year's time, uh, being on my own in a new country, which which was a cool experience. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of, I guess, gave you that that taste then, I guess, almost for wanting to push your own boundaries, live somewhere else, experience something something different. So you came to the UK, you admit not being overly picky, but Quinn's <laughs> is a name that you, you saw in a bit. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. I kind of fancy being a a part of that. What did you find then when you kind of joined Quinn's in 2019? Obviously it was a strange, strange period because what, not many months later we ended up in lockdowns and, and that COVID period for you, for your, your partner kind of coming over at, at that time. How was, how was the club to you kind of as fresh eyes walking in? Yeah, the club was amazing coming over, helping me settle in. I think Andy Sanger, 
I think a lot of boys would tell you he's the glue at the club, but from picking me up at the airport and helping with the visas, the club, but they were amazing from day one, helping me looking for places to stay and helping with cars. So in terms of settling in, it was really off the pitch, was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I think they went above and beyond and I still do with players uh, coming here. I think that's what makes this club special is they care about the individuals, the people. I think a lot of clubs say that, but actually living that is a different or doing that's a different, totally different ball game. And employing someone to do that, like Andy, to look after the people as individuals, um, mentally, physically, outside their families, makes a massive difference. And then the rugby part at first was challenging. First two games, I got two yellow cards in two games. <laughs> Not a great start to my Quinn's career. Um, I, I think it was the subtle rule or the laws that they ref different in the UK. Oh, yeah. We'll play in the soccer. Can't be me. Sure. It has yeah. to be the refs, obviously. Um, no, so, but yeah, the rugby immediately it was you into the winter months quite soon into the season. And then, yeah, the rugby was physical at first. Mm. Uh, there was definitely a change because it's slower than super rugby, but very much more confrontational. And yeah. I think the way we played on the Gazi was also that type of style. Yeah. If I have to compare it now, it's probably the way we play is not always that physical because we move the ball a lot. But right. back then we kicked a lot. We it was a lot of it was up front and it was really physical. Mm. And did you enjoy that new challenge then? I guess that's probably something that you were seeking out with moving to, yeah. to the UK, that physicality. Did you like that or did you kind of think, oh, no, that's maybe not exactly what I had in mind? No, I loved it. I um, played for the Sharks for, was there for eight to eight, nine years. Mm -hmm. So a change was needed and was good for me, not yeah. for me personally, but for my career as well. I think I hit a little bit of a plateau at the Sharks. Me and the coach at the time probably didn't get as lo along in the rugby context as well as <laughs> we should have. Um, so the move was came at a really good time for me, mentally and off the pitch, but on the pitch as well. And then learning from different players, new coaches, adding to my game when I got here, yeah, it was exciting. And every day I wanted to go to work to learn. And it was a fresh feeling where at the Sharks at one stage, I lost that love for the game a little bit towards the end. Still love the union like still watch, try and watch every Sharks game, but it's just towards the end. It's probably more reflection on me than on the Sharks. But um, yeah, but that happens, doesn't it, when yeah. you're somewhere for a extended period of time. If it doesn't evolve and change necessarily the way you would like, which you're not always in control of, yeah. you can kind of find yourself drifting and being like, this isn't where I want to be anymore. Is that kind of, would that be fair to say of the, yeah, of the Sharks? Yeah, I think I still had the passion. I was just frustrated at the time at how things was being done at the union at like you say you don't always in control and you sometimes it's a good thing you're not in control but um yeah so the change was really good from that to to the quins and this environment where you can be yourself um you can express yourself i think a lot of people worry about it when you come overseas the different culture and the different banter and the language barrier and the food but yeah it was made really easy by this team I think that's something that has come up a few times in the conversation we've had on this podcast is that that idea that at Quinn's everyone's encouraged to be themselves. And obviously we'll come on to it, but you now find yourself as the captain um, of this club. Is that kind of a belief that you hold really kind of close to, to your heart in terms of empowering and allowing everyone to be individuals in a team environment? 
Yeah, 100%. I think it's important. I think the more people can be themselves and express themselves, you see them and be comfortable in their own skin off the pitch and being happy off the pitch, you see that on the pitch as well, them expressing themselves, playing with... We often talk about smiles on faces, so I think the more you can create that environment off the pitch where people can have smiles on their faces when they actually take the pitch, uh, you get better people off the pitch, but you also get better rugby players on the pitch. So it's definitely encouraged, not just by me, but by the team. And I think it's not this team of Quinns, it's something that's come... Um, with the Quinn's badge for for a very long time, and I think that's I think a really interesting point that you're, I guess he, that you're aware of, right? That this is not about how you want Stefan Lavise's time at Harlequins to be remembered. It's about what it means to be a Harlequin in a broader sense, right? And that enjoyment, that smiles on faces, and is is that smiles on faces something that you've ever encountered, kind of in your rugby playing career before coming here? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people talk about it, but once again, actual resources at Quinn's goes into making that happen. Right. Time set out for it. So there's barbecues after trainings, the families year to day coming to training with their kids, there's face paint, there's activities to keep the kids involved, keep the family involved in the club. Um, all that is actual money being spent to make keep there or get smiles on faces. I think our fans, we haven't even got to them, but you see how, how they love this this place. And for the last two seasons, we have sold out stadiums. So it all just adds to the environment and, and getting those smiles on faces. So I think one, there's resources that's put into it. At this club that at other places, they definitely talk around it, mm. but I don't always see money we put on the table to invest on that smiles on faces. Interesting. And actually, as you say, making it a organizational priority. Yeah, it's right? a, you have to a, make it a priority. Otherwise, it's, it's just lip service. Yeah. And there's no use saying to, I don't know, players who saying, maybe someone's just moved to the country. You're right, come on, play with a smile on your face. Like, well, hang on, I don't know where my wife's working. <laughs> I don't know which school my kids are going to. But having that support allows you to, to do that. Yeah, 100%. Um, so then not long after arriving, obviously, you know, COVID lockdowns, 2021 comes around the corner and a, and a premiership win on the on on the horizon, obviously not to have known that at that point. But equally for you, you become club captain here at this uh, at this club. Is that something that, again, was it a goal that you'd set or is it another one of those ones that you're like, wasn't even my goal to be captain and now here I am leading these guys. How did that come about for you as a conversation with the... Uh, coaches and equally I mentioned the playing group as well yeah it's definitely one of those things that just happened again I think um so Guzzi phoned me one day is like I want to make you captain is it something you'd be keen to do take on and I've been at a union before where someone new comes in and they may be made captain and the players doesn't really buy into that person mm. so I had that experience myself um, so I knew it would be impossible to lead this team without the backing of the senior players yeah. so I said I'll get back to you in a few days not because I don't want it but I need to speak to to the players so I, I've spoke to Danny Brownie Marla at the time might have been one or two one other but I know I definitely spoke to the three of them. All three said, we back you 100%. I 
Danny said he had a crack at it. Marla had a crack at it before, so they think it's good that they don't want a, another crack. It's hard work. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for me it was a massive honour, obviously, yeah. getting the opportunity to lead a club with so much history. Um, but I also knew, like, I had a lot of learning to do. Mm-hmm. I had to develop a lot. I almost I wasn't the finished product or captain in a long way. I had to do a lot of development to become the captain probably needed for this team. And over the time... I would say I did a lot. I'm way off still. I think you constantly have to evolve and get better as a leader. Yeah. But I think in that initial season, two seasons, a lot happened personally in terms of my development. And I've always said it's not a one-man job. The yeah. the boys I've spoken to, the spine, as we call it, the leaders in the group has been amazing. The, the the help and support. I think we lead, lead as a group. It's not... I'm constantly, or a lot of times I like club captain. I'm like, well, it's a team effort. It's not really a, a one-man show. And I think it shows on the pitch as well. But I think that's interesting as well, that that was your response to being asked that, right? In terms of the style of the type of leader you are. Because it would be very easy to, to on the phone have gone, yeah, I'll do it. I'll be the club captain. But you're like, well, I'm, <laughs> if I'm going to do it, I, want, I don't want to do it for one season. And it to be a disaster. I want to have the buy-in of the boys. I need the senior boys on side. I need everyone to then sign up and commit to it and then equally to involve a leadership group so that there's that shared collective responsibility as well as recognising that you yourself had to develop. So I think that's a really fascinating answer to to that question. And I guess my question on the back of that is, have you had any, was there any nervousness? Like once, okay, you got the buy-in from the boys, you got then, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to say yes to this. Like, are you somebody who engaged in those thoughts of what if this goes wrong what if what if i can't do it? that not quite imposter syndrome but that sort of idea of like okay i want to step forward but what if it doesn't go the way i want it to no i never really thought of what could go wrong to be honest i just thought straight away jump to what i can do to make it better or mm-hmm. um and what i need to get from my side to push the group forward so then we first game against Exeter, I think we got 48 home. So it wasn't a perfect <laughs> start. But um, yeah, no, I never thought about the, the negative part of it. I always thought about what's possible and what's needed to, to make the, the dream come true. But which is telling, I guess, from your own experiences, right? As a young player kind of breaking into that team, having it all sort of happen for you very, very quickly. You've got that grounding of, you know, the important voices that were there for you to kind of keep you keep you grounded but equally you've experienced that runaway success you know when times are right yeah. the joy that can be be felt do you think that those experiences made you the right candidate for captain straight away yeah i think those experiences helped me massively having good leaders in the past great captains keegan daniels one of the best captains still a friend till today i learned a lot from him as how to be a good captain and then also had captains that i didn't believe in it. it was hard to follow so I had both examples how I wanted to be and how I also which I think is important how you yeah. don't want to be to steer clear of those those things I always thought I'll go into or stay in sport after rugby so from a young age I made notes of captains and coaches of things that I think would work going forward and things that equally I, I need to remember I shouldn't do which had a bad outcome or bad effect on people as a whole so I think that's helped me mm. 
almost looking that far ahead has helped me with being a captain, knowing what's worked in the past for not just myself, but our teams, and also what what have we done in the past that didn't work and almost steering away from that. And then have you got people outside of Quinns, maybe even outside of sport, that you talk to about that idea of leading people? Because you seem very articulate on it, very interested in kind of the, the psychology behind it and the practices of it as well. So I wonder if they're... They're people that you refer to away from the game to go, okay, this is something I'm experiencing. How would you solve that or approach that away from the rugby pitch? Yeah, well, Andy at the club is probably my biggest mentor. I speak to him daily and leading and with his experience in the army and all the rest is probably the number one. But then the likes of Keegan that's done the previous captains and having people that's sat in that change room that's done it before me to lean on them and get get advice from him um, or people like that and previous coaches that help. I'm doing my uh, Masters of Sport Directorship at the minute. So the whole first um, unit was on leadership and leading, which actually helped a lot. Very helpful, yeah. Um, and then through that course, you meet a lot of people and bounce ideas of different sport of football and Olympic sports. So, mm. and I love reading books like that as well. So learn a lot from reading and, and that, but I think, like I say, if you just stay the same person or the same captain, you'll lose the squad eventually because you'll slowly move backwards. So it's constantly finding new ways to engage people, to keep them interested. Um, and yeah, keep them engaged and listening to to help lead them driving this club forward it's all right so okay so let's go back to to quinn's that timeline you become captain extra just put 48 points um whatever it was at, at home that's behind closed doors at that point as well right so there's no yeah there's no was fans it? yeah that was the yeah, first that was, yeah you're yeah. right um yes yeah behind closed doors like that's obviously a a pretty potent cocktail to be thrown in as your first season as as club captain and with that leadership group around you. And then loads went on to happen over the course of that season. Are there mom- Was there a moment that you look back on having now won the Premiership where it became clear that that was on the cards for that group of players? In terms of... In, in that season, at what point did you as the captain, whether you were sharing it or not, start believing? Like, I think we're onto something here. I think it, when... When Gazi left at the time, I think you had a lot of people frustrated and almost felt like they were boxed in, caged in players. So when we took the shackles off, we made the game plan really simple, but we allowed people to express themselves. Mm. Um, and we gave people a voice. Like when we say in that leadership group, people came to the table with plans and they were driving those plans with the coaches. Um, wow. And whenever as a player you put something on the table, in terms of a plan, you want to make you want to make it happen. You want it to work, because otherwise, so there's they went a the the players' input was the coaches was brilliant with that taking that on board and then facilitated training around that and then it almost the combination with the players and the coaches driving the the messages together. It wasn't just the coaches and the players like a divider was very together. And then we got that first result against uh, Wasp away, which was really good. Um, I think everyone written us off at that time, which I think helped because people, when they just lost their head coach, they're going to crumble eventually. So we got the win. And then we got another win. And then we did, like those comebacks was mental in that season. Yeah. 
Uh, Marcus, I think, and Thomas saved us a few games in a row there. Yeah. And then you slowly start winning and you see it's a possibility. And then I think slowly, we didn't really talk about it, but the belief was just building slowly until there was a stage where you're like, okay, we're in the mix here. Then you start having those conversations. Yeah. But for a long time, we just took it game by game. And I think it's interesting. That's, you know, you hear that. It's a cliche because it's true often in sport, right? That game by game mentality doesn't really help to get too carried away as a whole group when you've still got a lot to achieve. But then when you realise you're in the mix, right? Okay, so, you know, knockout rugby starts to come on the horizon. Are you looking around the squad at those leaders you mentioned, you know, Joe, Danny, Brownie, they've they've been there and they've done it. How much were you chatting to them about their experiences of 2012 within this group? Obviously a lot of water gone under the bridge at the club since then, but there was that still that history and that, that heritage of having done it. So one thing I've, I asked Danny to stand in front of the group and share his experience of winning it in 2012, but then also waiting nine years to get an opportunity to do it again. Similar to myself winning the Curry Cup in my first year. Yeah. And then after, when was that, 2014, since then, I, or before the Prem, I, I haven't won anything again. So I was like, we have a team full of young players, but I don't really think they understand how big this is, the opportunity to to play in a semi and a final and then win it, lifting this cup. So I thought for us getting over the line, they need to understand how big this is. And sometimes it's good having these youngsters because they don't feel any pressure. They out, go out there, it's like in the park, throw the ball. They don't get pressure of the kick or the pass. They just do it, which was great. Yeah. But I think it was equally important to tap into these players' past experience to share this knowledge and and actually getting them or us as a group to understand how difficult it is to get into a prem final. Yeah. Um, I think our fissure showed us that the other day. It's like a 0. 0.000 something chance of one playing and winning a premiership final. So I think once Danny stood up and un, it actually ignited a little bit of a f extra fire in the boys, yeah. uh, understanding how big it is. And I think how big it is generally, but do you think the boys understanding how big it is for their teammates as well? You talk about those young guys and maybe have no fear, but then they're playing with with Danny and I guess they must look at him the same way you were looking yeah. at some of those spring boxes and you broke into the team. Like, oh, he's done it. He's amazing. He's my hero. And he's talking about the fire that he's got in his belly to go and do it again nine years on that they sort of go, it's not about me winning it. It's about Danny winning. It's about Joe winning. It's about Brownie winning. It. It's yeah. Steph winning it again. Do you think that played into it at all? No, it's definitely. And it was inspiring when he was like talking to us about his experience. Mostly his biggest motivation was the piss up after winning yeah. the final. That was his reason for trying to win it a second time. Um, but yeah, I think it almost made people think why they want to win it. And if there's a chance to do it now, then let's do everything in our power to, to achieve it now. Because you can always think next year, next year, but the next year might not come. I think it's a lot like they've learned already. It's a lot harder than just thinking, oh, next year we're going to walk into a semi-final and then you're in a final. Because that's kind of when you're at that age, how you think things happen and it doesn't. Yeah. So to have these players telling you, listen, or having them as examples helps a lot. And do you think that sometimes it's that it's important to put the emotion back into situations? You know, you read a lot, you hear a lot, see a lot of people saying, right, in order to be successful, you've got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to do your process. And yes, there's merit in that. But actually, when there's something on the line that is tangible, 
emotionally that it's important to inject that at the right time as a leader when you think people need a bit of fire lit underneath? No, massively. I think emotion, you can't take emotion out of sport as much as you want to. I think there's times you want to take it or bring it down or take it up, but emotion is there. You can't help it. In a final, you have emotion. When you lose, you have emotion. So you can never say take, I, I know people say it, but it's impossible. You, I think you're lying to yourself when you take, you say you take emotion fully out of it because you can control emotion. I agree with that, but taking it off the table, I think that's impossible. So at the right times, using emotions to get people up or to perform to their, um, to their full potential, it's, yeah, it's a powerful tool. And equally, bringing that emotion down sometimes to, to calm people down is, is equally as important. And then you mentioned that Danny's main motivation that you shared was about the piss-up <laughs> after the win. Um, I'm sure, and I hope very much we'll get the chance to ask him on the podcast, but from speaking to him, was it better than he anticipated for, for 2021, better than 2012? I mean, you don't want to compare the two. Not the final, I mean the piss-up afterwards. <laughs> I don't know about the piss-up. I think he said the win for him was better in 2021 because he understood again like our right. previous conversation he understood yeah. how hard it is and because at 09 he was that young yeah, young yeah. kid that rocked up won a premiership easy i'm going to do this next year and next year and didn't happen for nine years so he understood how big it was yeah. so he but in terms of the piss up i didn't sleep for three days so for me it was definitely <laughs> my best celebration and hopefully I get to do it again because honestly, the the memories you have, um, yeah, will live with with me forever. Wow, three days of no sleep—that's uh, that, that's impressive. Well, two days without sleeps after the final went straight through to the team social on the Sunday. Then had a bit of sleep on the Sunday. Actually, slept at Andre's house, and his nice. boy Liam woke me up at six a.m. in the morning, which was great. So kept on playing with Liam, but um, yeah, then got back on it on a on the monday <laughs> i mean sounds fantastic and let's hope we get some more to, to look forward to with with you in the in the quarters and and, and at the club um i just got, I want to move on now past past that because you know there's it's it's a few years ago now there's lots been said and lots been written about that win and i know that as sportsman you're always looking looking forward but i guess looking back on your career you mentioned about the injuries you experienced out in south africa i mentioned about the injury you've just come back from in the introduction i guess that's part of rugby right that you know that it's a sport where there's going to be injuries do you find that you're better at being injured at this point in your career or are you more frustrated at this point in your career than you were in those maybe those early years when you picked up those injuries i think i'm better equipped or emotionally to handle the the injuries and the lows but i think it you go through ups and downs with every injury where you better understand it's part of the game and, and it happens. But I think now towards the end, it's almost, I think it frustrates me more because when I was younger, I knew you're young, you still have a long career left. So it's fine where now I know there's not that much longer left. So every time you, you get injured and you're off the pitch for a long time, um, you know, you're getting, you're missing out on, you never know when's your last game in the sport anyways, but you, yeah. you know you're one step closer to, to that last game, which frustrates me more, not yeah. being on the pitch if I have to be honest. No, I bet. And then this this current injury, it was a, kind of a really protracted timeout. And I said at the start, like it was meant to be six weeks and it turns into into seven months. Like mentally, what 
what kept you going? I imagine your your masters that you're doing at the moment <laughs> played a big part. But like, how did you kind of keep sane in that period where it was? Maybe for the people listening, it might be useful just to explain kind of what happened because a lot of it was out of your control as well, right? Yeah, I think the thing that helped me was so to go back the injury itself. I had a I, in 2015 I snapped my patella tendon, so that to reattach my my patella tendon, and then they put three pins into my kneecap, and then so my body didn't, from what I understand, and don't quote my medical <laughs> terms, but fully didn't accept the foreign bodies in my in my knee. So I had a low-grade infection for a long time. And then last season, uh, the infection got worse and worse and worse. So I actually got a bad infection. Then I got put on antibiotics for, I was uh, I think I was on antibiotics for three months. Wow. So the tough thing was sometimes you wake up, you feel great. Other days I had nothing in me and then one of the days I felt the worst was big game last year. I remember waking up thinking, oh, I'm going to play a rugby game today, just feeling wow. like no energy. And then you try and get up and you – I think that's the hard thing. Often the crowd don't know what's going on. So, but, so you were basically dealing with that on a low level since 2015, but it kind of came to a head while you were playing. Yeah, it like came and it went and came and went, then low-grade, like a real low-grade infection and often made like a – like it was like a cysting on my knee, which I would often just drain it myself and get it's grim, but get the pus out yeah. um, on a daily basis. Um, in the beginning, it was like once a week and then or once a month and then weekly. And then then it became a point where it was just daily. I had to like get the stuff out of my knee. And then so the thing was, I felt constantly drained and tired. I got yeah. ill probably every second week. I was sick, like I had a call because my immune system was so so low. And then there was a point in the season where I went back to South Africa, came back and on, tried to train and was ended up in hospital on a drip. And that's when they actually found out, okay, you have quite a serious infection. Wow. So they said the infection won't get any worse. We can keep it stable. I said, well, I want to finish the season or try at least finish the season. Got to the semi-final, got to the end. We didn't get across the line at the time. Then went for the op. But then straight after the op, I felt when the infection was gone, yeah. I felt I had energy. I felt a lot better. Um, so from that, I think that helped me being positive because outside of rugby, I felt a million times better. It yeah. was even if they had to tell, okay, you're done with rugby now because of this injury, which at some stage it almost felt that way, was... It's fine because I feel I can be have energy when I'm at home or with my friends or with my family. Where previously I would be. Yeah, it's because you were kind of what putting your body through it just to play rugby. Yeah. So you kind of had nothing left. Outside yeah, of the sport, really. yeah. Maybe looking back a little bit, but I just think then probably while you're in it, you don't really realize how bad it was. So um, only after when it was gone, I was like, I feel this much better you almost see how, how, how much I was yeah. struggling with the infection. So that kept me going in terms of the energy levels and just feeling normal again throughout my in injury. But then making ready for six to eight weeks and then it turns into months. That was a bit of a bit of a low point. And so was that just various different setbacks on the way with that, that was, was it linked to the infection or was it? So in the infection, I had to drill into my kneecap to get those anchors out because it's done its job. They didn't really have a purpose anymore. So then into my rehab, I fractured my kneecap. So it was a fracture line straight through. So then that's where the seven months came in. And then it was, 
they couldn't or the option is either leave it hope it gets better by itself heal over time and do the bare minimum or you go for another op where they put like wire like a figure through of okay. figure of eight through the through the kneecap so i didn't really want it to do that because that could that's uh yeah probably that would be with in my knee for i don't know probably a lifetime so i was like let's take the chance on not doing anything and then constantly going for scans every second month or so to see how it's going. Um, and then, yeah, the rehab team was great. I think the support staff at Quinns is great to to change things up. I did some stuff up in Liverpool to get off site and um, went home every now and then. So that really helped me um, through the process. And then I try to stay as much as involved in the meetings and stuff and try mm -hmm. and help. I th it's really hard as a captain leading off when you're not on the pitch. So try and be a support to Domers and the boys do as much as I can to help them on the pitch. Yeah, I think that engagement also helped me. Because mm, that, that must be a, it's one thing to be injured as a player, but when you're the when you're the captain of that group, I know you said there's the, the leadership group that is so important, but sometimes you need to look to the captain for, yeah. know, for, for the instruction or to set the tone or something like how did you find that process of being involved but not then being able to go out on the training pitch or going out and playing with them on a Saturday? Look, because we're such a good senior group and I think we 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 as a uh, leadership group complement each other really well. So I think it's been a huge help in the past mm. two seasons where whenever I drop off Domas or Danny or whoever maybe steps up and fill that gap and then I just try and be as much support for them yeah. um, off the pitch. But like you say, sometimes you need to be leading by example. And if you can't do that, it's really, really hard to lead. And I think credit to the group, they've they've been brilliant and um, yeah, helping me through those tough times, understanding it and um, not just being easy to lead, but being there for me as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it goes both ways, doesn't it? It's one yeah. that you're not just a leader up on a pedestal, you're part of the group as well. So having that feeling you've got that support must be quite encouraging when you're out on that time and spending that time away from it. Yeah, definitely. And I think every other, well, all the players in this group feel the same when they're injured or out of not playing, they feel supported. That's obviously the environment we want to create. And I can obviously say for myself, I didn't, I definitely felt that way. Um, very well supported through that time. Um, of my injury, but also as a leader, the way they've stuck with me, I, I really appreciate it. And then, okay, let's move away from from Harlequins per se and kind of a bit more onto onto you. You've heard about kind of your yeah that that journey, those those highs, those lows, kind of moving around Japan, England. But then, for you personally, one question we like to ask on the on the podcast here is: Are you in your personal life financially? Are you a spender? or a saver are you somebody that's out there the money's burning a hole in your pocket every month or are you kind of protecting it putting some away making sensible decisions in inverted commas <laughs> i think from a young age i had good people around me that said like rugby is a short career you have to make the most out of it look after your money so i think majority of the time i'm a saver i look after my money but i i i think i have a good balance Sometimes it probably flips the wrong way a little bit, but I have good people around me to quickly get me back on the right track. Um, so as, as in a whole, probably a saver, but every now and then I spoil myself and 
sometimes get it wrong maybe too much. But yeah, I think with, there's always an end goal in mind. Yeah, but sometimes you do, you allow yourself to let your hair down. And, uh, Definitely, <laughs> I think I enjoy good food. Yeah. Um, and yeah, nice holidays is probably uh, food and holidays is probably a thing I spend on and the most. Yeah, you I see, would say experiences. Experiences. <laughs> you're not you're not one for physical things, but like you said you know even like Japan with traveling the world. Yeah. Like is that that's what you'd say? Kind of your extravagances then is 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 going away. What's the best What's the best trip that you've that you've taken? Would you say best trip? Turkey was amazing. Got engaged there, so it's up pretty there. good. Yeah, uh, Cappadocia was incredible. It's obviously, because I got engaged yeah. as well. Um, I haven't really travelled that much as or as much as I would have liked in Europe. Came over. That was one of the main reasons coming over to travel. But then COVID happened, yeah. and uh, believe it or not, visas has been a nightmare. As a South African, the green mamba doesn't help you. Um, so that's probably the best one I've done. But looking forward in the near future to do a lot more over here. Exciting, exciting. Okay, and then look, I sit talking to you for hours and hours, Steph, but um, I will get to the, the final the final question. But firstly, thank you for, for coming and chatting. It's been really illuminating, I hope, I mean, for me, but hopefully for people listening to kind of learn a bit more about, about who you are and, and your journey. But the question I want to ask to, to wrap up is, you've talked about some of those low moments, right? When times, are, when times are tough, whether it be injury or just generally in life, how do you continue to find joy or to kind of bring yourself back out of those moments um i wouldn't say necessarily happiness it's not the be all and end all but like finding that that joy to kind of keep going i think one knowing your why why you wake up in the morning why you do do stuff and then surrounding myself with good people i think mm. my friends and my family is everything for me spending time with my wife um i think that's that's probably the thing that gives me the most joy is spending quality time with with my family and my friends i think as long as I have them around me and I can see them regularly and yeah, do cool things with them, I'm happy with uh, these life app. Life's always going to be happening. There's going to be highs and there's lows, but as soon as, as long as I can share those experiences with them, whether it's up or down, I think yeah, I'm inside. I'm all right. Fantastic, Steph. Thank you very much for coming on Diary of a Harlequin. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me and um, yeah, thank you for giving me the time to have people getting to know me a bit better.